This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Behind the Braves, presented by Jostens, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mast, Atlanta Braves Digital Media Content Manager, joined by Director of Braves Alumni Relations, Greg McMichael. Greg, it's always a treat when we have one of your old teammates on the show and one of the guys on the teams that I grew up loving and a lot of people of my generation grew up loving, us TBS kids. Somebody we've wanted to have on since we started this show, and finally the schedule's finally lined up for us to do that and what a great conversation a lot of funny stuff and also very insightful baseball <laughs> stuff from none other than crime dog fred mcgriff should be a hall of famer fred mcgriff hopefully that's rectified sooner rather than later should already be in there by any stretch of like any measure as far as i'm concerned he should be in there and i think i know you feel the same way mm-hmm. but really really fun getting to chat with him we also have later in the show if if you all may, might remember this last year. Uh, this is our second year of doing this with Georgia Defacts, uh, our partnership with them, and some really, really great uh, some interviews there. But we will get into that after the the interview with Fred. Fred is so interesting to me because he is he seemingly as a player watching him from afar, just as a fan, he seemed like a pretty quiet guy and a pretty and he still seems that way. But then once he starts talking, man, he is he's very animated, very funny, very thoughtful, uh, just a really interesting guy. What do you remember about him as a teammate? Because you were a rookie in 93 when he came over. I mean, what, what do you remember about that? Well, Fred is um, he he's a very likable guy. He he's he does go about his business. He He's not real. He's not going to be your team rah-rah guy. You know, when I was thinking about that, as far as first basemans go and you think about Freddie Freeman and you think about uh, Matt Olsen. Olson and Fred McGriff and um, I think about some of the great, you know, Sid Bream and some of the first basements we had over there, Chris Chambliss. Um, you think about guys, uh, Andres Galarraga, they all, they're kind of the same mold as far as just kind of anchors, you know, guys that, that are, they're solid uh, defensively, they're solid people. They just they come and do their business. They're not loud and boisterous. I mean, if I had to characterize Fred, I'd say he's the quiet assassin. I mean, he just uh, he was deadly in that lineup. And I think about just watching him play day in and day out for the years that I was the five years I was with the Braves. And um, he just one of those guys that you knew he always showed up. And he could do all kinds of damage. He had a great swing. I mean, it was it was very noticeable. His swing was different the way he had that high finish with one arm. Um, but Fred just he seemed like it was kind of like, you know, Maddox, whenever he took the mound to start, you had complete confidence and you knew that he was going to keep you in the game till the end. He wasn't going to get lit up in the third inning. Fred, you knew he was going to put together quality at bats for the you know for the game and he's probably going to hit you a home run he's definitely going to get a big hit so fred was just um but in the clubhouse he had one of the best laughs and i, I wish we could have got him a, he goes uh, uh, he, t- he laughs like that he's got just a, he's just got a funny laugh and so we everybody's always trying to get him to laugh and um and i don't know if it's, it'll come across in the interview but he uh he's just a funny guy so I love that he's working with us in the organization because I, I think those are the type of guys that you need. Eddie Perez, Terry Pendleton, and Fred and Andrew. Those are guys you just want hanging around with your young athletes. And, you know, he's very passionate about what he knows to be true about the game of baseball. He does talk about that a little bit. He also knows, like he says, he knows what a big league player looks like. You know, he when he's out there scouting, he knows what it means to be successful and he saw people do it. He had mentors. He did it. He was around a lot of high quality guys. So 
Uh, I would, if that's a guy, I'd want to sit around, soak up as much information and knowledge as I could. A guy like Fred would be the one. Absolutely. And what you and I do here with Behind the Braves, today's interview with him is a great illustration of exactly what you and I always hope for, because this is a great conversation. The first half of it is really, really thoughtful, serious baseball discussion. And the second half is, is funny (laughs) stories. And that's to me, whenever, whenever we're able to have a guest on and we, we get all of those things in one conversation, we've done our job and we've done what our mission is on this show. So, so let's get right into it then. Here he is, should be hall of famer, Fred McGriff. Let's see if McGriff can keep it going. To center field and deep. Back to the wall is Jordan. It's out of here. We're tied. Welcome to Atlanta, Fred McGriff. Well, hey, Fred. Uh... Appreciate you joining us on Behind the Braves. Uh, we've been wanting to get you on here for a long time, and I think it's uh, pretty appropriate. We've got uh, a lot of cool things going on right now with the Braves coming off the World Series. Obviously, you know what that's about. And then um, you've been working with the organization for a while on the amateur side in scouting and and uh, working with uh, some of our uh, young players in the organization and um, love to hear a little bit more about what you've been doing over the past few years. And that, and I should say this, not many people know it because you're kind of a private guy. And as I was thinking back about your career and the time that I got to um, play on the team with you, you were just that kind of player. I mean, you, you weren't loud, you weren't boisterous, you didn't do a lot of flashy things, you just kind of went about your business. And so I'm not surprised uh, the kind of work you're doing today kind of behind the scenes, but just, just tell us, uh, the fans, just a little bit about what you've been doing in the organization for the last few years. Uh, thanks, Greg. But um, yeah, you know, back in the day, man, I just always uh, you go out there and you play hard every day, and you just try to set a ex- good example. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you, you know how like you got those guys who, when they're hitting three hundred or they're pitching <laughs> real good, you know, they want to call team meetings and they want to do everything else, right? They're like, yeah. Come on, guys, let's get it together. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, that's that's simple for you to say. You're hitting 300. You know? hey, talk right. to me when you're hitting. Talk to me when you're hitting 200. Now, <laughs> n- now call that team meeting. You know, when you when you're hitting 200. That's right. <laughs> but, that's right. Yeah, but now nah, with the Braves, just uh, Bob in the amateur, uh, going around scouting and looking at uh, some of the top amateur uh, kids, and uh, like you know, once I stopped playing. Uh, I just hung out for four or five years at the house. Then when it started getting involved again a little bit in baseball and uh, scouting uh, is very hard. I mean, I've learned a lot from uh, just seeing the other side of things and trying to project how these young kids are going to turn out. You just never mm. know. You're drafting 17, 18 year old kids. They're leaving home. They've never had failure before. They've always hit 400, 500. They've always been the star on their team and everything and then all of a sudden they get drafted and um they're playing six and seven days a week and so they're no longer hitting uh 300 i mean we're now not now they're hitting 250 260 <laughs> and, and it's a whole different ball game and you and from the pitching side you take these guys who had a uh like 0.5 era in high school right and then all of a sudden they start playing minor league ball then they start getting hit and hit around a little bit mm. and uh they, they don't know what to do. You know, they're so used to blowing kids away uh, in high school. And now they getting up to pro ball and, uh, you know, they're facing five and six good hitters, seven good hitters a night. Where in high school, they may be facing uh, two or three good hitters uh, lineup. So it's a different mm. ball game. And kids are leaving home uh, for the from their parents, maybe for the first time. And now they got roommates and, uh, you know, they all the uh, temptations that's out there uh, for young kids and everything. Uh, it's so, so different, but you got these scouts who I give them a lot of credit because, uh, you know, you, they're going across the country. Uh, usually you have each organization has 50 or 60 area scouts. And then these guys go out and uh, try to find the, uh, some of the top kids then they go back to the uh scout director and so forth and they uh have meetings and then they come up where players are going to target and then they send out the uh cross checkers and so forth to double check on uh, the kids that these guys that the that the area scouts like 
and so forth. And so you really got to, as a scout director, you really got to trust your area scouts because they're seeing guys 10 and 12 times throughout the year. You know, myself, I go in there, I may see a kid uh, one or two times and it just may, may be my luck that I see the kid and they walk him four times or they don't pitch to him and, or he's facing a tough pitcher or the conditions ain't great. And then I leave town. You know, I've seen, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen seven or eight at bats, and so, but I just give my opinion based on those at bats and based on um my experience. You know, having played 18 years in the big leagues, I've seen a whole lot of big leaguers, and I know how uh, I know how they look and everything. And I'm always into the big six two six three guys. And then myself, Greg. You know, um, I was a late bloomer, and in the minors. I think I might have hit 240 in the minors or whatever. And I spent two years of rookie ball and so forth. And I talked to Mark Linky a lot. And it kind of it, it hurts me that uh, Major League Baseball decided to drop two mm. uh, minor league teams from each organization. Mm. And, you know, some kids take a little bit longer to develop than other kids. And so in Lemke, he, he spent two years in uh, rookie ball and a number of guys. It just takes a while to get going and Major League Baseball cut shop two teams. So that's just going to make it harder mm. for kids coming up and, 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 and organizations may miss players, miss on players because their first few years they struggle and teams end up releasing them. And then they either go to independent ball or they got other avenues and all of a sudden they figured it out. They figured it out. And then I know organization like, man, we released this kid <laughs> and uh, and now he's a he's a good ball player. But amateur scouting is, is really tough. So I give those guys a whole lot of credit because trying to project hitters in a sense where, as you know, it's hard hitting 300 in the uh, mm. big leagues. It's very hard, you know, and so trying to project these kids, how they going to pan out is tough stuff. Yeah, well, I I have a, a great affinity for my scout Roy Clark, who you know, and Roy stuck through, uh, stuck with me and got me over to the Braves after I'd been released from the Indians, and he believed in me. And even when I was doing poorly in the minor leagues and I was hurt, and he still came around and encouraged me. And that is a you're right, that is a tough job. It is an unsung hero of Major League Baseball, and I just um, I just feel. Uh, that's got a soft spot in my heart for all those guys because they do a lot of things. So I appreciate what you're doing for the uh, for the organization. I did have a question. I know we got you for a short amount of time. I want to ask one more question, and I'll let Ricky ask you a couple things. But uh, as I was looking back over your career, I was just obviously we all knew we we got a chance to play with you and just had a great great uh, experience. You know, not only I think you were probably underrated as a first baseman. I thought you did a tremendous job at first base, but just having you in the middle of the lineup, and I was amazed. You said 18 years, and you know you had five all-stars, three silver sluggers. You were the home run leader in 82, 89, and 92, uh, World Series champion. It, you're right. It is is tough to bat 300. You batted 284 for your career, which is an amazing feat. And and I'm thinking about just the longevity of your career and when you start to compare your career with other guys you're right there with the hall of famers and i think you and murph and andrew are all in the same boat that you could easily be hall of famers and hopefully one day you will be but um but the one thing that stands out to me about you compared to those other two guys is the longevity that you were hitting you averaged 32 home runs if you average out every 162 you know games a year you average 32 home runs that's that's amazing there were stretches where you had records of six years in a row and i just wondered what was your secret because obviously everybody wants to play for 20 years but not everybody can do it but yet you you not only played but you played at a very high level your career never dipped so i was just curious what was it that you did that um allowed for that to to be so successful thanks Ray. well i uh I set goals for myself. For instance, every year I was trying to hit 30, at least 30 homers every year and um, driving 100 runs and try to hit 300. And so I knew that the baseball season is six months long. So if I hit at least five home runs a month, I was going to have 30. And if I uh, had 17 RBIs a month, I was going to have over 100. And then and, and, and if you get a hit three out of every 10 at bats, you know, you're going to hit 300. And so uh, that kind of kept me going. Teen times when you're struggling and so forth, there's times when it's getting late in the month 
something and so forth, and you maybe only have three or four home runs and you're not swinging great, you just tell yourself, come on, you know, you can you can get, you know, have two or three good swings. Because usually if you play it every day, you're going to get at least 100 at-bats a month. So I knew, I mean, just Fred, you know, just get five good swings <laughs> out of those 100 at-bats and uh, and you have a chance. And so that was my whole goal. And, and for the most part, uh, you know, I kept myself clean. You know, I, you know, every once in a while I have a, a, a beer here or there, but for the most part, uh, <laughs> I got, you know, and I got and I got my rest. And, uh, you know, I learned uh, when I was young, my first year in the Blue Jays, a guy named Sam McDowell, Sutton Sam McDowell, the ex-pitcher mm. for the time. Yeah. yeah. And he was a uh, he was like a mental. He had a little mental. He was a mental uh, coach guy and so forth. And he told me, you know, Fred, you know, when you're on a roll before every game, take a nap. Take a little nap, even if it's 20 or 30 minutes, just to get your body, get your mind right. You know, you, you feel rested and so forth. And um, I would do little stuff like that uh, hmm. and just really work on it. And then um, before a game, you visualize the pitcher you're facing and what, how is he going to try to pitch you? How is he going to try to what pitches he going to throw in certain situations and, and so forth? And then you went out and played the game. But I always say, Greg, you know, use the baseball cards don't lie. You know, base, <laughs> on the back of a baseball card usually tells the uh, truth about a guy. And I was very blessed. You know, I worked hard, no steroids, and I played the game uh, right. And so, uh, you know, I wake up every morning just proud of uh, mm. my accomplishments. A lot of times, once you, you, you once you finish out of the game, then you start going back and thinking about some stuff. You know, I battled and competed uh, every night and went out there and played hard because it's tough. Hit that little baseball consistently. <laughs> it's very tough. And so you got to constantly make adjustments. And that's what kills me sometimes in this game, the game the players play today. I don't see kids making adjustments and so forth on a uh, daily, sometimes, you know, light nightly basis. Just you got to make some changes if they're if they're throwing fastballs by you or you're fouling fastballs off. You got to make some kind of adjustment, you know, may, maybe one time. Uh, spread your stance out or close your stance or, you know, raise your hands or drop your hands or, or do something. <laughs> and um, I just don't see that, you know, and I, and, and the thing about it, great. Every, every, everybody's different, you know, like I was different than Chipper. Like to me, uh, like David justice, justice was a great hitter, right? Mm -hmm. and justice could hit fastballs, breaking balls, justice. You know, I was a great fastball hitter. Okay, breaking ball hitter, but Justice was a great breaking ball hitter. So Justice was the type that he could sit on breaking balls and so mm. forth and hit them. Okay, but that wasn't my game, and so I was gonna look for a fastball every time, right? So every player is different, and so I'm watching games on TV every night, and they're saying how like, oh yeah, um, we're having meetings and we're we're coming up with a uh, a team plan on how we're facing this. This picture tonight, and I'm like, wait, time out. Everybody's different. You know, everybody mm -hmm. has a different plan. You can't, you can't, it's not a same game plan for everybody. And then I'm watching these pictures, and some of these young pitchers, like it's great to see Kyle Wright pitching very well this year, you know. And to me, it's kind of like, you know, the, the pitcher's got a plan. And so every pitcher nowadays pitches the whole, everybody pitches the same. You know? mm -hmm. But some pitchers, you know, Kyle Wright those 95, 96 miles an hour. So he may not pitch like different pitches like like Glavin. You know, I spoke I talked to Glavin a little bit last week, but like Glavin can't pitch like Smoltz or, or Maddox. They're all different, you know. Mm -hmm. So to, so to have like this master plan where we're gonna face everybody's gonna pitch the same. We got a plan and this is what we're gonna do. You know, etched in stone. That's that's very tough. And so when I was, I always had to make adjustments constantly, mm. all the time. And that's how you that's how you survive because all these teams got scouts, and they're gonna scout you, and they're gonna try to f come up with holes on the way they're gonna try to pitch you, and so forth. And mm. um, so I just was able to always make uh, adjustments. Well, Fred, first of all, thank you for taking the time to join us. And I have to say, for longtime listeners of Greg and I's show, they know that my affinity for the 90s Braves in particular, because being a kid in the in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, like Braves baseball on TBS, I mean, that was like, I, you could set my clock to it every day. That's what I watched. That's what made me fall in love with the game. And I can tell you, in, in late 1993, if every kid in my school was playing baseball, they were either 
They either wanted to be Ken Griffey Jr. or they wanted to be Crime Dog, and that was just the way it was. That's the way it was. And it's, I have very fond memories of those days, and I'll never forget you becoming a Brave. So we've talked with some other folks who who were on, on that 93 team with both of you guys about the day of the press box fire and the day you became a Brave. What do you remember about that day, July 20th, 1993, about getting traded to the Braves and the fire and the, the whole deal? For the whole deal, I mean, it was, uh, it was quite interesting because uh, when I was in San Diego, probably Two weeks before that, we had a big brawl in uh, <laughs> Sheffield. I, I was playing with Gary Sheffield in San Diego, and Sheffield hit two home runs off this pitcher named Trevor Wilson with the Giants, right? Mm-hmm. And so Sheffield was hitting in front of me, okay? And the pitcher, he hits me, right? You know, like, so So everybody in the ballpark knows that it was on purpose. And, and so I charged him out, you know, and everything. But, you know, with these baseball brawls, they're always funny. Because uh, the catcher grabbed me, everybody comes out. Da, da, da. But trying to throw, trying to throw a punch, I, I, I hurt my rib cage. Right, so now I hurt my rib cage. So now I got suspended for a few days. But the Padres uh, took care of it for me. But anyways, uh, now I get traded. Right. So Sherholtz calls me and says, "Yeah, Fred, you've been traded to to the Braves." Da da da. And I'm telling him like, "Dude, I can't play right now. My ribs are hurt. I can't play." So he was like, oh, you, you can't come up here with your ribs hurting, you know. So I'm like, OK. So I decided to just go home to Tampa. So I go home to Tampa for a few days. And I'm taking some oral medicine and everything to help my ribs. So now I figured I, I stayed home for three or four days. And then I decided, OK, let me try to go to, uh, to Atlanta. Right. And so I tell myself because I had driven to Atlanta before. So I tell myself, OK, Fred. If you leave about 12 o'clock from Tampa to get to Atlanta, driving the speed limit, it's going you're going to get there by 6 o'clock, right? And I know the game is 7-something, right? So there's no way you're going to be in this lineup if you get there around 6 o'clock. So, <laughs> so that's what I did. I go, and I leave at 12, and I get around 6 o'clock. And I go and walk into that clubhouse, and I look at that lineup, and my name's in that lineup. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, this is cover, right? So, so that's so the man upstairs is watching after me, and the press box catches on fire. You know, and so now, um, I got all this extra time to go into the training room, and the trainers are just working on my ribs and so forth because I'm in this lineup and everything. <laughs> and the game didn't start till sinking nine thirty, nine forty at night. You know, instead of the, the regular game, it, it started mm-hmm. real late. And so, for me to be able to hit a home run my first night uh, mm. in Atlanta, it, it was just it was crazy because you know I, I wasn't even sure I could swing or not, but to pull that off against the uh, Cardinals was great stuff. And at the time, you know, with us being ten games back of the Giants, that was probably one of the best uh, pennant races of uh, mm. of all time. Well, I I pride myself on trying to ask questions that I feel like our guests haven't heard a million times. So I say that to apologize because I'm about to ask you a question. I know you get probably every day. But again, as a kid of the 90s who played Little League, I I, I, I have to ask. Tom Amansky, like the, the, I have to hear the story of how that came about because watching the Braves every night and then growing up every morning eating my cereal watching SportsCenter and ESPN, I saw that commercial multiple times every day. So I just got to know, how did that happen? Because that, that is, that's well, like, Precious part of my childhood, that commercial, <laughs> the Tom Man. Well, when I was 19, 20 years, years old, I uh, went down to uh, Dominican Republic to play winter baseball. Because usually, they don't do it nowadays. Nowadays, instead of going to one of the Latin American countries for winter ball, these kids just go to the Arizona Fall League, mm-hmm. you know, and have a vacation for uh, three or four months <laughs> after the season. But after my minor league season, I went over to Dominican Republic. And... It was this catcher named Steve Christmas, and he lived in Orlando, and he knew I was. He knew I lived in Tampa, and he was my teammate. And he says, "Fred, when you get back to Tampa, I want you to go see this guy, Steve, uh, Tom Amansky. He's in Orlando. He has batting cages. He's good people. He'll he'll slow your swing down. He'll show you some things about hitting and so forth, and he may be able to help you out." So I'm like, "Okay." I'll do that, you know, because here I am, my first year in Dominican Republic, you know, playing with older guys uh, for my age. But I get back, and I drive down to Orlando, and I see Tom Amansky, and he slowed my swing down. So for the first time, I saw my swing on video 
and so forth. And he was like, yeah, you know, your front foot gets down and you got to do this and that and your back got to be, everybody starts from, everybody bat starts in different positions. But when it's time to make contact, everybody's bat in, is in this position here and there. So I'm like, cool. So I leave. And now five or six years later, I'm in the big leagues, <laughs> you know, so I'm playing in the big leagues. So now Tom Amansky calls me. He's like, Fred, you know, you mind if me and some kids, we come to, I see you're going to be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And if you mind, if we come and uh, shoot a little commercial, I'm like, oh, sh- oh yeah, man, let's do I'm in the big leagues now. You know what I mean? So I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Dude. I help you out. So that's what happened. I played a game, day game in Wrigley Field. After the game, it's a little league field, probably within five minutes of regular field. He gives me, he just gives me, you know, I have my street clothes on from, from playing a game. So he gives me a t-shirt, hat, I pop it on. I didn't think it was a big deal. So I pop it on and like, yeah, yeah, just tell me, just say, uh, meet these kids and just say guaranteed to get results. So I'm like, okay, cool. Hey, guaranteed <laughs> to get results. Da, da, da. So I do that. And I didn't know at the time that he had got grandfathered in with ESPN to run commercial spots, to run a spot on ESPN, because to run a spot on ESPN is major money. You know, mm-hmm. that's why, I mean, to this day, you hardly rarely see, you rarely see a, uh, a baseball video of anything um, mm-hmm. on ESPN and so forth, because, you know, it's huge money to uh, run a spot, but he got grandfathered in. And so they ran that commercial and the videos, and I never seen that video in my life. I tell people all the time, I've never seen it you know, in my life. So, but this guy helped me get to the big leagues. So, yeah. oh yeah, I'll run this commercial. I didn't know the commercial was going to stay on there for 20 years. But commercial <laughs> set up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, every night, and, and, and Greg can attest, I mean, every night, you know, usually the TVs are on ESPN uh, in the locker rooms and so forth. And you're getting ready to play a game and everything and ESPN is on and everything. And there go that commercial. Here comes the commercial. <laughs> you know, every single stick of night. I could be in the training room or I could be in my at my locker. And here comes that video. And so now once that commercial comes on, I leave. You know, I leave out the room. Because I know I know the guys are getting ready to get me. And so uh, for 20 uh, years it went on. But uh, oh, that was man. the story. But he did, but he did help me out. He slowed my swing down and I saw it on video and I and he taught me some things and and, and it was great. Well, uh, Fred, this was great catching up. I appreciate yep. you uh, taking the time. Hopefully, hopefully you'll uh, hit them straight today and win you some skins. Yep. But all right. uh, appreciate all the work you're doing and uh, great catching up with you. Okay. All right, Greg. All right. All right. See you guys. All right. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Our thanks again to Fred McGriff for joining us here on Behind the Braves. Hopefully he is uh, hitting them straight and long down the fairway right now as we speak. Greg, this is a really cool partnership we have with Georgia Defects. This is our second year getting to do this. Georgia Defects, every year they they give out these awards for caregivers of the year, foster families, and we get to meet and talk with some amazing, amazing mm-hmm. couples. And I, I think a lot of times, Ian, I'm guilty of this too. I use the word amazing or tremendous or whatever, almost a little too loosely or, or whatever, however you want to put it. In this case, it can't be said enough. What the mm. folks, the work that these folks are doing is absolutely amazing. We talked to uh, two couples here who are award winners, Nick and Rachel and Adam and Charity. It's it's a real treat for I'm, I'm glad people get to hear a little bit about their story. But selfishly, it's a treat for me to hear about the work that these folks are doing and that there are these good, kind souls out there in the world that are doing this work. I think I think we need more of those uh, with each. We need all those we can get. Mm-hmm. In the world, that's for sure. So just a little I know you've you've your your family, this the fostering is is close to your family and your heart. And uh, Georgia Defects, the work we do with them is uh, the work they do is pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And what a privilege to be a part of something like this. You know, May is National Caregivers Month. And so we love to, this works out perfectly for us to be able to highlight that. And my family has been involved. And I've told the story about my niece. Uh, she has 
eight or nine foster care kids that she's now adopted. And we have a foundation called Fostering Hope Tennessee. And I'm, I get to, I'm on the board, but I also get to be a part of help doing some fundraising in Knoxville where we do a charity um, baseball tournament. I bring some alumni up for, uh, for that event. But uh, the word that comes to mind to me is the word selfless and these families that have received these awards that we get to highlight you know they they are on a daily basis putting their self interests aside and and they're thinking about some people uh, young people that are in need and that are in crisis. And so they, they're sacrificing some of their own uh, desires to be able to uh, be a part of something that can change, you know, young people's lives. And, and we've seen that when uh, there is a broken home where one or two family members can't take care of uh, young kids, I mean, there's not a lot of good that happens from that. So for these people to stand in the gap, for them to be able to to step in and and take over that parental role and to love these young kids until the parents can be in a better position or if they um, they sometimes a lot of times they'll they'll end up adopting them but that's not obviously always the goal it's really just to be a stabilizing force in a young person's life and uh, I just I admire them so much and what they're doing and it's a privilege to be able to highlight them on our on our show and and to just kind of do our part to bring awareness Absolutely. Well, first, let's visit with Georgia DFAC's Caregivers of the Year, Nick and Rachel Hanratty. Well, welcome to uh, Behind the Braves. Appreciate you guys being here with us today. In May is National Caregivers Month, and uh, you guys have been receiving some awards today of your good work that you're doing um, in the foster care system. So um, tell us a little bit about your story. Let's start with you, Nicholas. Um, Well, let's see. I'm in the bar business, so... For the last 19 years, I've been with the same company, worked my way up to a managing partner at my restaurant over here in Smyrna. And I met Rachel there in 2015 Hmm. and uh, we got married in 2018 and in 2019, um, she had some medical issues and we found out we weren't, you know, going to be able to have kids of our own. So we quickly, after, you know, her recovery, even before she really recovered, we we were already talking about adoption and um, we've got into the training and did all that and then COVID hit and adoption didn't happen for a year and a half and then we actually had to like recertify and we initially talked about not being foster parents because we couldn't bring ourselves to give kids back Mm, Um, that was kind of our thing that we decided on to put us in the adoption only track and then we went a year and a half without any kids and and we just talked about like how we already don't have kids what's the difference you know if we foster kids and have to give them back then we're right back where we started but at least we got to you know we at least got kids and um we recertified as foster parents and had three kids three hours later and we've had them since September. (laughs) So we actually, um, you know, three, keeping three siblings together. That was also another thing we talked about is the opportunity. And when we were trying to adopt, we were trying to go straight into an adopting a sibling group. So this kind of puts us, you know, in that same wheelhouse of what we're trying to accomplish. We actually picked up a second sibling group in January. So we have two sibling groups of three right now. And then we've been rotating like a number seven, like temporary placement on top of that. So we have seven at any given time, seven. So we have a 17 year old on top of our two sibling groups right now. So that's, that's basically in a nutshell, the last seven months of our life. I'm a little familiar with your life just because I have a niece that has adopted nine kids and oh, yeah. they started out in the foster care system. And so I know that you guys have a big heart and because it's just not an easy job. I, I was listening there towards the end and they're talking about just being unsung heroes and um, kind of like linemen in football, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you, you only get noticed when something bad happens, but man, you guys just uh, a lot of credit for uh, and a lot of love in your home, I'm sure, because that is just not an easy position to be in. How are you feeling about it today, Rachel? Um, it's definitely not an easy position, but we definitely love it. Hmm. You know, our day to day, it's definitely not the easiest, but with seven of us, it it rotates. (laughs) So, I mean, it goes from school to sports to um, extracurricular to after school i mean it just well, never stops got i mean until the time we sleep going on yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> I, work, I work beyond full-time at my job so rachel really does shoulder mm. a ton of it and you know she deserves this award at least 90 percent of the award probably should be going to her and uh, i help out in the mornings before i go to work mm. and i'm lucky to be home in time to put the little ones to bed um you know during the week and stuff mm. like that so i've had uh, definitely uh seen a lot 
out of her and you know she has a child care background coming into this so she's mm-hmm. kind of an expert and uh, I come from a big family and my brother adopted two of his sister-in-law's kids so we have in the family we have that kind of that mentality of you know stepping up and doing the right thing sure um, so it's just you know to me it's it, it, it seems pretty natural to mm-hmm. just keep doing that and do the right thing and then once you find out you when we found out we couldn't have our own kids it was like temporarily devastating but then you just like okay plan b let's go and to have the ability to help out make a difference and the whole unsung hero thing is kind of like to me it's kind of a stretch because i i have people complimenting me all the time and mm. like you guys are so amazing everything you do you know it's a, i get it a lot and you know granted it's just words but i mean it, it definitely helps and it feels good sure. to have people recognize what you're you know trying to do and you know she's 100% accurate it's not easy it's total chaos it's like somewhere between like a boarding house and a and a frat house and a prison and it's like it's, it's you know the the level of control that's great the level of control is uh sometimes you know it's a fine line it's mm. a dotted line probably mm. so well it's amazing this work that you two do and well well deserved with the award what has been it sounds like there's a lot of rewards that that you've, you've reaped as a result of this i mean not the actual awards i mean just your day-to-day what what has been the most rewarding thing for for you since taking on this this journey this challenge i don't know if you have anything i, I definitely I have mean, one. <laughs> everything's rewarding with all the kids they each kid is different so like the milestones is what's like most rewarding mm-hmm. to me because like a kid can come in and be like mom guess what i finally finished like you know i'm a's and b's and like when they be in the school year you know they're c's and barely holding on and so it's like everything they do is like such a big reward to us because it's like we push them to get that far right. and That's you know great. i mean for me like the first time that two two-year-old little girl called me daddy like the first day that she even met me it was like it changed me forever definitely like like filled in a hole that i knew i knew i had i had that hole but like actually having that hole filled in like that was like Mm -hmm. you know it was like i think i'm just different i'm always going to be different from that day forward um so that's a huge reward in that capacity because i always did want to be a dad it was always something i aspired to um and then you know watching my wife operate she's such a fierce advocate for you know the kids she tries to help out the birth parents as much as she can even when it's very hard to do that Mm -hmm. um sometimes and i'm just watching her operate and watching how great a mom she is and how hard she tries and how much she cares is definitely a huge reward for me because i know i i got the right girl yeah that's awesome well i know ricky and i had the the pleasure of meeting the award winners last year i i, I was thinking about my niece because she does op- open adoptions so she's not only you know loving on these kids but she's also really kind of loving on the birth parents which is pretty amazing thing but um as i think about the kids that are in your home and you think about just all the different needs and what would you tell somebody that is thinking about this but's kind of scared because it is scary to think about all of a sudden boom i got five kids and you know three kids and and they may be different what what would you do to encourage someone who's never done this before but is interested in in what you're doing i mean obviously do some research um you don't have to take five you can take one mm-hmm. you can take one you can set the age limits you can set the behavioral thing i mean there's they they really want to work with you so if you don't you know if you don't want to take someone who's medically fragile you don't have to like we wanted groups so we tried to we we didn't want someone who needed round the clock medical care we wanted you know we, we really tailored our desire for mm-hmm. sibling groups so the you know it's definitely scary to take somebody else's kid or kids into your home because they're not your kid. You, you, you know, you don't know anything about them. You might get a blurb. You might get three sentences before you even meet them. Um, so the, there's a lot of mystery there and there's a lot of potential for surprise there. But there's no, you know, you really have a ton of control. You can take one kid. You can take two kids, whatever. You can set everything. Defects will work with you or whatever agency you're working mm-hmm. with will work with you to fill in you know fill in your i guess requirements your desires mm-hmm. your, your whatever your specifications yeah. are there's a like a eight page checklist of things you can go through and be like uh ADHD is okay okay mm-hmm. um you know violence towards other kids oh maybe not you know like you yeah, just yeah. have a lot of yeah. of options there and so just you know step outside of your comfort zone um, there's there's so many kids out there and there's not enough foster parents there's mm-hmm. not there's just not enough resources period um so every little bit helps and if it's one kid, one baby, one one teen, I mean, really hard to get placement for the older kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you can make an impact that way. I mean, it might be too late, but it might not be too late. And it's not your fault. 
you know, so if something does go wrong, we've had a couple hit mishaps with some of our placements. Not our problem, not our, f- I mean, not is our problem, but I mean, not our fault. Like, we don't have to internalize that. You know, like the damage was kind of already done when we got them. We still tried. We still tried to give them love. We still tried to give them structure. And if it doesn't work out, mm. we still did the right thing. At the end of the day, you get to go yeah. to bed, you know, you sleep like a baby knowing you tried. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what I would say to any prospective, you know, foster parent. And then, like, they need people that can just take a kid like you still have to certify but like they need kids they need someone who can just take kids from other foster parents for a weekend so foster parents mm-hmm. can go get a, get a week away or something gotcha. like that so it's not it doesn't have to be the rest of your life it doesn't have to be forever um, so there's you know whatever your level of potential commitment is mm-hmm. I mean there's probably space for it and I know for a fact that the people I know at DFACS would love to have anyone mm-hmm. in any capacity for any yeah. length of time so that's great yeah. well we really appreciate you guys coming in today we admire you for what you're doing thank you for what you're doing I know that uh, you're making an impact in some young people's lives lives that will forever be grateful hopefully that they'll recognize it sooner or later right sometimes i'm sure my kids my parents said that about me (laughs) well i I would say well i think we use the phrase oh they're doing the lord's work a lot or at least i do but this is a case where i i really do feel that you both Mm -hmm. are and just thank you both Mm -hmm. so much for what you do and thanks for taking the time to be with Mm -hmm. us absolutely Absolutely. next up we chat with georgia defects caregivers of the year adam and charity bird we're here, special special day. You guys received an award for all the work you're doing in the foster care system, and so we really appreciate the work you're doing. And um, but we'd love to hear a little bit about your story. Will you share some of that with us, Charity? Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, so to start out, our story is a little crazy. We um, actually got married right when COVID hit. Our wedding was supposed to be that July, but we canceled it. Um, because most of our family lived out of town. So we just got married over Zoom. Oh, really? No, that's a first. (laughs) Yeah, no. Like, we got married with all our family watching. um, And then, like, two days later, we moved to Noonan, Georgia, um, and closed on our house. And um, I was um, teaching at the time, and I had a child in my class who um, was, at the time, looking for an adoptive resource. Um, And at the time, we were not foster parents. I told Adam when we started dating that... um, it was like a non-negotiable for me when I when I was 12 I knew I wanted to be a foster parent so he either had to like go with it or get gone because (laughs) um, it was always in the cards so when this child in my classroom needed an adoptive resource we um, once we got settled in Noonan and bought our house we reached out um, and started the process of getting licensed and then the child no longer needed an adoptive resource Mm -hmm. so we talked about it and Adam um, and I talked and just decided that we would just go for it and just open our home up because we all of a sudden had a four bedroom house with just the two of us and nobody else. So we were like, why not? Um, And so that was in the summer of 2020. And by November, by just after Thanksgiving is when we got our approval of um, being an open home for three kids. Nice. Now, were they all siblings or just three separate kids from different homes or? Yeah. So our capacity was three. um, And our, our first placement that we got was in January, 2021. And they were a sibling set. They were two and four at the time. Um, They're still with us 16 months later. um, And they're four and six now. So they've grown up quite a bit (laughs) while being in our care. And then um, our capacity was three, but that didn't, that third spot didn't really get filled until late last fall. Um, And so we had an 11 year old for about two months. um, And then she left to go live with family just before Christmas. And then in February, we had an eight-year-old join our family. So, yeah. So how you been feeling about all this, Adam? Uh, (laughs) It's been fun. Um, I've learned a lot. Had to um, navigate some interesting situations, Um, but I wouldn't trade it. It's been a great experience. What's been the What's been the most rewarding thing about about this experience for for both of you, Adam? Start with you. Um, Seeing how they have progressed, um, working through some of their their past and you know the trauma that's come with it. That's been pretty cool to Mm. see how they've kind of grown up a lot. So Yeah, and for me, I guess especially with our eight-year-old who's been with us since February, um, unfortunately with our kids, um, the the younger kids who've been with us for a while, we didn't um, have the opportunity to work with their biological family as much. But with our eight-year-old, they've been very involved and we've been able to really make connections with their mm-hmm. parents and just really building that connection to where we can work together for the sake of reunification has been a really big thing um, and something that I would do a million times over again just to have those relationships. Mm-hmm. 
So. Wow, that's great. I mean, you don't you don't hear about that a lot. But I know from my own family, my niece uh, has all open adoption. She's got nine kids. Mm-hmm. And it's been very rewarding for her. And I, I would imagine for the kids, too, as well, in, in the long run. But uh, I just I just hadn't heard about that much until she yeah. started doing that. It's, I, I can see how you, with your situation, you're not only affecting these kids for a lifetime, but I, I assume you're affecting their, their parents, their birth right. parents, too. And so you're doing twice the work, which is yeah. great. Really, like. <laughs> the way I like to look at it is we're all really just a couple choices away from being in their situation. Um, and so it's a really big thing just to be humble and just realize that um, we're, you know, at times like we're no greater than them. We're just a couple situations or if we would have been born into a different situation, our path may not have been that different. So sometimes that's just the best way I think to look at it when building these relationships with biological families. That's so. great. And we, we asked the couple before you just kind of what was their their perspective on if someone was thinking about doing what you're doing because we're always obviously we've got a lot of kids out there that um that need help and they're looking for and birth parents that need help what would you do to encourage them somebody that's never been involved before that maybe they're a little leery or a little scared about this how would you encourage them to to get involved um i would say start educating yourself now um before i even became a foster parent um as a teacher i was taking trauma-informed classes to become a trauma-informed educator so if you're interested in even having some hand in um, the child welfare system, I think informing yourself on trauma and how trauma affects the brain is a mm-hmm. really important place to start because um, it will help you differentiate so much later on down the line. And that also, I think it's important to remember you don't have to be a foster parent to have a hand in the um, future of these children. Um, there's CASA, there's working actually in the system, there's supporting foster families, um, just even just in their home with babysitting or laundry or taking a meal. There's so many things that you could be doing um, without the commitment of becoming a foster mm-hmm. parent. So I think getting started with those um, are really mm-hmm. important. Well, just being around this <clears throat> this group of people just for the last two years, it seemed like Stephen and his crew, a uh, pretty good group to work with. Yeah. The awesome. Georgia Defects. And um, I mean, that's been a good experience with you guys. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Nice. Nice. What's what's been the most surprising thing as as you've kind of taken on this this challenge in life? Has there been anything that you just? I mean, I would think there's got to be a lot of things that you know you try to prepare for, but there's got to be something you're like, whoa, I didn't didn't see that coming. What's what's been the biggest <laughs> surprise to you? I'll have to think on that for okay. a minute. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. This guy asking him me this dumb question, that would, be, that would be the biggest surprise. I'll answer for you. I can I can go first then. I think for me, like on a serious note, I think the most surprising thing was being able to feel two completely different emotions, like sorrow and grief and joy at the same time, because at one hand, you've got this family that's been separated, um, but the joy of just in your heart of being able to be there and be that support for the kids while they need it. I think I was so surprised by being able to feel those two completely opposite emotions at the exact same time wow, that's, that's awesome surprising to me that's that's pretty amazing i would have to agree okay <laughs> <laughs> i said i'll just piggyback off yeah. that <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty interesting to, to see the to see how you can feel the two things at once i feel like that's what life the older i get the more that's what it's all about is trying to feel it's trying to trying to feel all those just Mm -hmm. experiencing all those emotions that's yeah it's one of those things i wish i understood a little bit better when i was younger Mm -hmm. well and i think part of that is allowing yourself to experience it instead of stuffing those you know feelings down there and um but you know we all know you live long enough you life is a bunch of sweet and sour right there's good with the bad and exactly um i mean i i've had six kids and and i know that um it does they don't have to be foster care kids i mean experience the same thing with mm-hmm. your own and now they're all having their own kids and yeah uh, it's really good but we we really admire what you guys are doing my family has a charity in in knoxville called fostering hope tennessee uh, my niece kind of got us all involved with her her work in the foster care system so very familiar with all the the tough stuff that goes on but uh, i know you guys have big hearts we really appreciate what you're doing here in the state of georgia and, and uh, thanks for being on the show today sharing your story thank you guys thank you, thank you both us. so much it's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. 
Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Our thanks again to Nick, Rachel, Adam, and Charity, not just for joining us, but for all the amazing work that they do and the Georgia Defects for our partnership with them. As I hope this is something we get to do every year for many years to come. Uh, Greg, so we're we're almost to June somehow. Amazingly, I looked at the calendar the other day. I thought, oh my gosh, we're already like we're already almost a third of the way through the baseball season, and baseball is in full swing, and a lot of our events and things that we have connected with baseball are full swing. Alumni Sunday, you've got your your kids' camps. I mean, you've got all kinds of stuff going on what's uh what's happening in your world yeah so uh, as part of the growing the game initiative we are starting this kind of uh 12-week tour of baseball and softball clinics and uh, we have completely sold out our baseball clinics so we've got 12 locations 1200 kids around atlanta really excited about that we do have spots remaining in our softball clinics and we've got a great group that we've partnered with um the pitcher's mound um out of uh, norcross and they're going to be um they're bringing in some college athletes from around uh, the country from oklahoma and to uh georgia tech and uh, georgia state and uga and they're going to be helping us uh, work on the fundamentals of softball for girls softball and and we're gonna we also have 12 locations for them too so you can go to braves.com slash clinics and then click on the softball section and we do have uh, more spots available that starts on tuesday so it's each tuesday and wednesday starting next week from six to nine um we'll have uh, you get a jersey and a hat buy one get one free tickets for Braves games, you're going to receive a baseball card signed by an alumni who's going to show up and talk to everybody, do a little meet and greet. And then you're going to get six hours of incredible instruction, either in softball or in baseball. So we'd love to have you come out. Check that out, braves.com slash clinics. So real excited about what we're doing there. Also, uh, Alumni Sunday, we've got Pete Smith and Javi Lopez are going to be here with us. We'll have autographs um, in the plaza, and then I'll do a little Q&A that will be broadcast into the stadium uh, before the game. So looking forward to seeing and catching up with those alumni, and it uh, should be a great weekend. It should be. So Pete Smith and Javi are two people that through you and through this show, well, I've gotten to spend a little bit of time with and quality human beings that we're lucky to have as part of our alumni, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, definitely come out and uh, meet those guys, get an autograph, and catch Greg's Q and A in the either in the plaza or in the ballpark. It should be a should be a good one. So, well, thanks as always to all of you for listening. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Jostens. Again, hey, Father's Day is coming up, and there's plenty of good World Series related merch and ring merch on Jostens.com/slash/Braves. Definitely go over there, check it out. Uh, I knew you and I were talking about the paperweight. That thing is enormous. I saw one just the other day. <laughs> I'd only seen it. That was one thing I'd only seen on the computer or like on my phone in the ads. I finally saw one in person the other day, and that thing is a monster. And it's awesome. <laughs> I mean that in the best possible way. It's very cool. So Jostens.com slash Braves. Definitely check that out. We thank them very much for uh, for being our partner this year. Nice. All right. Well, thanks to all of you for listening and rating, reviewing, subscribing behind the Braves presented by Jostens. As always, we, we can't thank you enough. Uh, for Greg McMichael, I'm Ricky Mast. We'll see you next week on Behind the Braves.